I've been standing on the rock, waiting for the wind to blow. I've been standing on the rock, waiting for the wind to blow. I've been standing on the rock, waiting for my seeds to grow. I've been walking on the ground, waiting for the guns to quit. Welcome to Don't Feed the Trolls, where we transfer oil without polluting the soil. I'm Matt. And I'm Nate. And today we're going to talk about the infamous Dakota Access Pipeline with a friend of ours, Sean, who has been to Standing Rock. Not many people get up there, or have been up there, but uh, we have a buddy who made it up there, so it's pretty interesting. Yeah, we're going to get him on the show, but first we have some troll mail. Nate, would you like to read this one? Yeah. Jason Reinhold says, hey, I listened to the bonus content on Patreon.com, and uh, I really like that one listener, Travis, what he had to say. He seemed really cool, and I would love to know his story if he was willing. You should bring him on the show. Maybe we should. Maybe we should. We yeah. We love to bring our uh, patrons on the show, and that's kind of part of the reason why we did the special episode was to get your voices, our supporters' voices, on the show and hear what you guys think. Because turns out you're all very articulate and uh, maybe even quite a bit better than us. So if we can feature some of your ideas and opinions, that would be awesome, and that's kind of one of the things that we're looking to do um, in future episodes, get some patrons on the show and hear what you guys have to say. If you guys want to support us on Patreon.com, you can go to Patreon.com slash Don't Feed the Trolls and get that bowcon. We got a new one. We got a new one. We got a new patron, Mike Stevenson. Welcome to the team. Thanks for supporting the show. Mike, you get all those bonus episodes for just pledging one dollar a month and i hope it's worth it i think it is i think it's a good deal deal of the century Way back in 1838, my great-great-grandparents were forced from Tennessee to a reservation in Oklahoma. Matt, did you know that? I did not know that. I'm learning. Andrew Jackson passed the Indian Removal Act of 1830. Couldn't he just soften it with the title a little bit? I mean, it's kind of, it's abrasive. Indian Removal Act? That's what white men do. (laughs) terrible sounding. Hello, natives. We're going to remove you. Exactly. I mean, that's why the Patriot Act, the uh, not only did we did Dark we, Act, not only did we misidentify you as Indian, we're going to now remove you. It's just terrible. But go on. I know it should have been uh, Original Landowners Removal Act. Yeah, it should have been a little bit more PC. But I guess it was uh, the Wild West back then. Well, I mean, uh, speaking of Wild West, yeah, I think they did all that just to sell the land to the white guys. Like, oh, hey. Now you pioneers can come take this land because we got all the uh, Native Americans out of here. Right. And uh, that was sort of the beginning of a long road of oppression and resistance towards Native Americans by our political system that continues to this very day. 
Um, and you probably already know about this from the Trail of Tears that you probably learned in high school. Most right. people know that from American history. Yeah. Senior year or something? Yeah. Or junior year? I was, I'm surprised they teach that. That's good. I knew about that. Yeah, I didn't even realize my freaking great-grandparents were on the Trail of Tears. How dumb was I? So they were Cherokee? They were Cherokee, yeah. Wow. Um, in, in 1898, my great-grandmother... She was three-fourths Cherokee. She was born in Oklahoma on the Indian reservation that she was forced to relocate to. Right. And apparently that this the Oklahoma was like considered desolate and godforsaken. <laughs> I can back that up. Sometimes it does seem that way. That's what it was described as. So they lived they lived on like the rivers and in the in the plentiful areas in the south regions where they got all their food and everything and their right. lives were great. And they were forced to, to go to this dirt hole. Right. And uh, sucked. Yeah. So this kind of hits home for me in, in a weird way because, you know, five or six generations ago, my family was facing this, this this despair of losing freedoms, rights, their religion, just their whole livelihood. Right. And here we can look at the news today on Facebook, and it's still going on today. Like, these people are like, look, like, this is our land. Right. I, and, and look at me now. I'm the whitest guy you've ever seen. I can't get a suntan to save my life. <laughs> you got screwed out of that gene pool. You wouldn't even know, but <laughs> but you know, a couple generations ago, where I came from, they're, right. they're struggling. That's interesting. So it might be part of my own resistance to authority because I've always had resistance to authority, Matt. Right. I don't trust white people. <laughs> I don't trust in charge. white people. <laughs> ah, white people saying they don't trust white people. Maybe I'm maybe I'm there too. I I I, I guess authority. And authority happens to be That's what I said, I dominated, think, right? yeah, dominated by uh, the white upper class in our country. So yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily trust, uh, trust them either. It's frustrating because these days you say something like that, everyone goes, "Oh man, businesses—they're—they're they're, they're killing jobs. What are these Native Americans doing out there? Like they're crazy." <laughs> and I just think, like, do you read history books? Because this has been going on since we parked our ship. Right. At Cape Cod, we have been doing this crap to people. I've read up a little bit. Yeah, fill, fill us in on uh, when No Dapple started here. Okay, yeah. In the spring of 2016, the hashtag N-O-D-A-P-L began popping up in social media feeds everywhere. It is all in reaction to the approved construction of Energy Transfer Partners Dakota Access Pipeline in the northern United States. The pipeline was projected to run from the Bakken oil fields in western North Dakota to southern Illinois, crossing beneath the Missouri and Mississippi rivers. There's those rivers again, right? Under, yeah, as well as under part of Lake Oahe near the Standing Rock Indian Reservation. Many in the Standing Rock tribe consider the pipeline and its intended crossing of the Missouri River to constitute a threat to the region's clean water and to ancient burial grounds. In April, Standing Rock Sioux elder LaDonna Brave Bull Allard established a camp as a center for cultural preservation and spiritual resistance to the pipeline. And over the summer, the camp grew to thousands of people. So people are just living out there. Yeah. Our buddy Sean Porter, who's tour managed both of our bands, I think, right? right? Yep. He went. Like, you know, like like the crazy big daddy that he is, that's his nickname, just went up there, uh, talked to the locals, hung out, froze his butt off for a couple of days, and uh, tried to get some solidarity with the, with the local natives and try to figure out what's going on. Right. So I would say regardless of whatever side you're on, uh, let's talk to somebody who's actually 
been there, talk sure. to people, and figure out what the heck's going on. Right. I'm skeptical of any white man in charge. We already know that. <laughs> I'm skeptical of everybody, so I'll argue the other side. <laughs> so let's let's get Big Daddy on and say, hey, tell us the story. All right. Let's do it. So welcome to the show, Big Daddy Sean Porter, the guy that was tour managing rock bands twice his age at 18 years old. (laughs) Um, And he also looked twice his age at 18 years old. Yeah. So we're a topical podcast, Sean. We could talk about all kinds of wild stories, but today we're talking Dakota Access Pipeline, No Dapple. Why the hell did you go up there and what can you say? Oh, man. Well, I wasn't really planning on it and then... I was kind of keeping up with everything that was going on, you know, just seeing stories getting shared on Facebook and stuff and watching a bunch of videos and stuff. And I had bought a car up in Seattle and I was driving it back and I looked at the route and I was like, well, it only adds like one day to just go through North Dakota and see what's actually going on here, you know, kind of firsthand. <laughs> right. So I s- Only one day. Yes. I was like, fuck it. Let's do it. <laughs> I actually like, there was a storm coming in Seattle, so I just like packed up in this car I had driven for like a hundred miles and just headed out like two days earlier than I originally was planning because of the storm because I didn't want to, there was like a bunch of snow and when snow hits Seattle, it just gets wild. Yeah. So when you showed up, give us like a description of like what what's happening. What are you seeing? Where are people, what are they saying to you? So I showed up at like, that was the day that everything was supposed to be like hit the fan, December 5th. It was the day that the like Army Corps said everyone had to get out of there. A couple days before that, the pipeline people had put a statement out saying that they were gonna like halt production for now and stuff. So everyone was in like this cheery mood, like you know, everyone kind of had this like victory panned out in their heads of kind of what was going on. And the vibe I think that I was expecting was like completely opposite of what like I actually got when I was there. Right. So how many people are there? I mean, the camp was enormous. There was like thirty acres probably just tents and teepees and RVs and tiny houses and like sheds that had been thrown up and tents like uh, army tents and barracks and stuff. 30 acres? Like, you know, compare that to, you know, the gorge campground. That's like Woodstock. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Basically. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. It was it was insane. What, what are they eating? Uh, are they... Are, how do you even get, are you allowed in and out or like, are people stopping you making sure you're not like some undercover cop or something? No, like it was pretty much like I showed up and they were like, find some parking and like, get ready. Cause like the weather's going to turn bad. It's kind of what I had kept hearing. And I was expecting this storm to hit at like nine o'clock. And so I like, right when I pulled in and like found a spot, the wind started kicking up and it started getting like kind of windy. And I was like, Oh man. So I'd like loaded, I had this, these Santa costumes my buddy had. And one of them had a big sack in it. So I just loaded the thing full of hand warmers. And I just, like, marched out on the front lines and, like, just started throwing <laughs> hand warmers out to anyone that needed them. No way. Santa. I didn't, I, wasn't, uh, I didn't dress up like Santa. I just had this big, like, red bag. And I was just tossing them that out. That would have been a nice a nice touch, though. I know. Santa, I just, Santa coming with the hand warmers. Right. So the, so the vibe is good. People are... People are 
bonding together and they're helping each other, are people like caring, freezing people out and like are medics there or people? How cold are, was it? Yeah, it was it was cold, man. It was frigid. Um, when I got there, it was probably like in the teens and then no it way. started dropping. Like the minute I got there, it started getting colder. Are you all by yourself? All by myself, completely unprepared for any sort of anything that was about to happen. I literally had a sweatshirt and like a jacket <laughs> and no blankets, like nothing. I wasn't able to, I had a motorcycle in the back of the car, so it's not like I could have like laid down back there and it was too heavy to like pull out and put back in. But uh, I mean, the vibe was like, I actually was talking to one of the medics, uh, this guy named Gary, who had been out there for like almost the whole time. He got there like a week and a half afterwards. This older dude, he was from, uh, I think he was from Georgia is what he said. And he's just, and he was like pretty unbiased. He was just kind of like, you know, I'm just out here like helping out. Like if someone gets hurt, it's not that I'm, I don't necessarily believe in everything that these people are saying and fighting for. You know, I believe in enough of it to like stay out here and, and kind of be a helping hand. Right. He's pretty unbiased. I'd asked him like, you know, has it, has it been like pretty violent or has anything gone down? Like, have you seen anything crazy? He's like, you know, it hasn't been too bad. There was like three like kind of escalated events and those were all like pretty publicized on the news and everything like that. And, you know, a lot right. of that is just one of them was like, what were those? Um, a bunch of the protesters just started like building fires and trying to throw in part of like the barricade that they had at the end of this bridge. They were trying to like burn it down kind of. And so mm -hmm. I guess the like private security firm or maybe it was the Army Corps or police who were there. I don't really know who. No, I don't think anyone really knows who it was. But like, you know, that was when they were shooting everyone with water cannons and like some people got bit by some dogs and all that kind of rubber stuff. bullets. And, right. and then he was, you know, that he said that was like the biggest one. And he'd seen a couple people for like a dog bite, but how can he, how can he like afford to just be out there for like six months? You know, he was like probably 60 ish. He said that he was in the military for a little bit. Uh, I don't think he like went on deployment or anything like that. So he was just, I don't know if he was just a successful businessman. We didn't talk. I was only there for a couple hours, and I only had, you know, five, ten minutes to talk to a couple people individually. So he's just there to provide health services to people who are cold or injured. Yeah, that's that's pretty honorable. Yeah. I suppose you don't have to have, you know, a political stance to just say, you know, basic human rights to, you know, care. Yeah, totally. So that's kind of, the, I guess that's kind of the Army Medic's code, you know, do no harm and you know, serve. Whoever. What was the craziest story you did hear though? Uh, one dude who had been out there for like 13 days had said that like a couple of the private security firm people like came through the camp and a bunch of people like kind of tried to like attack them. But a bunch of like the native people had like really tried to step in and intervene and make sure nothing really crazy happened. And so he said it was a situation that could have escalated a lot, but I think there was enough people there that, like, with calm heads that kind of stepped in and, and de-escalated it. But he said that was kind of... So, this... like, a no-violence policy, basically, from the natives. Definitely, for sure. They were on the lookout for everybody there, too, because when the weather started picking up, they kind of turned around. They were doing, like, uh, they were having some sort of dance kind of thing or, like, march, and they had, like, all these people in, like, headdresses and stuff, and they were doing a dance out by, like, the the bridge where like the protest is actually going down and then 
right when that kind of ended, they like turned everybody around and were like, okay, the weather's turned. We got to like go, like, let's get back over to the camp. Cause it kind of goes out from behind this hill and you're just right out in the open and you're just getting blasted with snow. And like, I mean, I don't know if you saw my, my Facebook video or my pictures. I, my beard was just frozen solid. <laughs> yeah. I and, saw that one. Yeah. You look like you're in the North pole. Yeah. And it was just like, you know, it was, it was starting to get cold and like, windy and it was starting to get like okay we should probably start yeah thinking about getting out of so here. you you see these headlines on on facebook you see these videos and you know it motivates you to go see what's going on like just to go be present and i'm assuming your bias or skew towards the rights of the the standing rock reservation and not necessarily the uh energy transfer partners but I feel like, you know, we talk about trolls on this podcast a lot. And I feel like uh, I feel like the news headlines are always trolling me. Like they're they're just trolls in my life. They want me to experience fear or panic or anger or outrage. It's so hard for people to navigate in the information age all these different articles that are being shared. What is as someone who has been there, what is your understanding of the uh conflict, the Standing Rock conflict? And can you give just a general synopsis of what's going on there uh, for people who might not be filled in? So my understanding is basically the energy transfer partners are trying to put a pipeline that goes through some property is like right next to the reservation. And it's, it is private right. property. It's not on the reservation, but it's directly next to it. And it's basically right so close that they just wanted to avoid the reservation. And it goes right over and through like a watershed that they're using currently. You know, they don't want that to happen. And so the protest is basically to stop that portion of the pipeline ha from happening in hopes that they're going to go around or figure an alternative right. route out or an alternative solar power. Right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> something, man. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the pipeline's going to happen. It's just going to happen around in a different way. I think wind power would be very Native American. Yeah, there's <laughs> enough wind there. Definitely. So people fall pretty hard on both sides of the issue. You know, obviously the protesters see the private security forces as like an armed group of mercenaries hired by greedy oil barons to intimidate, injure, scare away the opposition. And the pro-pipeline people see the protesters as like ill-informed anarchists or environmentalists who want to disrupt the economy with their anti-capitalist ideals. Yeah. How do we bring like how do we bring the two sides together so that they can actually hear each other? Or how has your opinion changed of the situation since you've actually seen it all? Yeah, since I've been there, I mean and just I mean 2 days ago, another pipe like a pipeline exactly what the everyone's saying could happen just happened like 2 days ago 100 miles away. Or 150 miles away. Yeah, 150 miles away. I'm actually looking at it now. There's uh, 176,000 gallons of oil spilt into a creek. And so if you can picture that, 176,000 uh, jugs of milk. Damn these uh, white except guys. For, except Damn for their, them. it's black crude oil. See? Imagine that just getting dumped into a creek. So apparently their concerns about the pipeline uh, having, you know, ruining their water source are pretty valid because once it's set yeah, up, it's there forever. Of course it is. And so, but that that sort of just, I think, strength, strengthens their case because I think a lot of people on the opposition would say, you know, this is very safe. This is how we're going to, you know, create no, jobs no, and it's, no. they have nothing to worry about. And then just 150 miles south, the, they apparently they cleaned up 
Um, 37,000 gallons of the 176,000 gallons still 140,000 gallons in a creek. But this is the problem is everyone always goes, oh man, you know, you're fighting, you're fighting the system. The oil creates jobs and this is how the economy goes around. It's like, yeah, but we've had the technology since the 80s to get off the oil and yet the oil continues to be this problem. Exactly. Exxon is involved in all sorts of energy, yeah. not to not just crude oil, but crude oil is the big money maker. Uh, apparently, and I, I'm just looking at this article about the spill that was 150, uh, 150 miles south of Standing Rock. It's by uh, this company, True Coes, has a history of oil oil field related spills in North Dakota and Montana, including awesome. a January <laughs> 2015 pipeline break into the Yellowstone River. Um, the 32,000-gallon spill temporarily shut down water supplies in the downstream community of Glendive, Montana, after oil was detected uh. in the city's water treatment system. Truco's uh, operates at least three pipeline companies with a combined uh, 1,600 miles of line in Montana, North Dakota, and Wyoming, according to, uh, to information the company submitted to federal Regulators, since 2006, the companies have reported 36 spills, totaling 320,000 gallons of petroleum products, uh, most of which was never recovered. So that doesn't really uh, bode well for the Standing Rock tribe, as people say, no, it'll be safe, it'll be fine, your water source uh, will be fine, you're overreacting. Because here we have all these stories, 36 spills in 10 years. This is just oil companies. Most major companies, they pollute and they pollute a ton. Most ag companies pollute a ton. You know, most plastic companies and all these companies producing all this stuff, it pollutes. Sean, how do corporations exist? I know you can't answer this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. <laughs> how do corporations exist without polluting the shit out of our environment and making people like me very upset? Because yeah, I feel Sean, like how? How do we do this? How do we have companies and corporations without polluting our world yeah what do you have to say for yourself sean (laughs) sean i mean here's the thing the businessman and me you look at the whole dakota pipeline and you say this is going to be a good investment four billion dollars right now is going to save us a ton of money in trucking costs it's going to save us a ton of money in this and you know their insurance and everything's going to go down just because there's not going to have as many trucks on the road you're not going to get trucks on the road so so the carbon emissions are going to go down right yeah, the thing of the but the innovator in me and the the person who who is like the forward thinker and that's the thing that oil companies are not they're they want to make money now and the forward thinker in me is like why not spend that four billion dollars on a new way to make energy or something completely aside oil they have it and that's yeah the conspiracy theory theorist in me but they're so invested in these oil fields and these properties where they they have black gold in the ground. And they need to move it because they're like, we're already deeply invested in all this black gold and we need to get it from one place to the other so we can turn a profit on it. And so I understand their concerns as far as like, we need to get this thing going. But I'm just, I'm wondering why they, I mean, there were alternative easements and uh, route patterns. Why are they so forcefully uh, dogged about their approach to going through that Army Corps land right by the Standing Rock Reservation? Do you, do you know that, Sean? 
Do you know why? <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, I would, I would guess that they would probably, it's the quickest point from A to B, you right. know? And that's cost less. I priced out just a culvert pipe in my backyard for the water. It's going to cost me to probably run a pipe, just a plastic pipe, guys. Probably about 100 feet. It's going to cost about 1500 bucks just so yeah. I can keep my kids from falling in a ditch. I assume this pipe, if they had it go an extra four or five miles, is thousands and thousands of yeah. dollars. Oh, millions. More. Millions. Millions, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but, but what I'm saying is like it's really expensive to run pipe. But how expensive is it to hire all these security forces and, uh, and have all these delays? I mean, at some point, you got to go, enough's enough. We're going to get this thing done, spend a little more, more money. Uh, Sean, what, what was your impression? Did you see any of the security uh, people? And uh, did you interact in any way or, or, or see kind of the, the opposition to the protest? I didn't really, honestly, because as soon as I kind of got to the front of the protest, everyone was like, all right, let's turn around and start heading back in. So I could like see the other side of the bridge. And all I saw was a couple like big vans just sitting like up on this hill. And like you see like a fence that kind of like is a semicircle around the edge of the, the road on the other side. And they just have the road blocked off. There was So how are they keeping them from building the pipeline? I, I mean, I don't necessarily no are they chaining themselves to the equipment are they sitting under the tires no i mean i think that if they wanted if they wanted to they could just the pipeline people could just blow through and just keep working i think it's just there's so much eyes on the whole situation that they're kind of just holding back a little bit and i think honestly like like matt said i think everyone is hoping that that time comes when they eventually just go okay enough's enough we've wasted enough time and money Let's reroute this thing. But I think that the pipeline people kind of see when they're going to get the okay. And they're just holding out for that. And I think it's in their best interest money-wise right now to just hold on and wait until, you know, they right. kind of get that okay. Well, then maybe they were saying, oh, wintertime, these, these pansy protesters will leave. Yeah, they'll freeze out. And that doesn't seem to be happening. You know, people, even after the Army Corps said it wouldn't approve the easement, to use their land, no one left because everyone kind of knew that's not the end of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe now as, as humans, we kind of realize that like there is a political structure in place. They will cry wolf and pretend like they're going to do something. And then everyone leaves, goes home. Nope. They're all, you know, digging a tunnel underneath the ground the whole time and we didn't see them. <laughs> Next thing you know, the pipeline's connected, the golden spike goes in and and the poor Chinese who built the railroads have to get in the boats and go back to China. And we all get... It's just America. Is this how America was built? Just screwing over all the people who do all the work. It's a both and. the Chinese built the railroads. That's what I'm saying <laughs> people listening. If you didn't, right. if you didn't know that. Some people got screwed and some other immigrants got wealthy. And uh, I, I think that's just kind of history. And it's always the white guys on top. Yeah. Cashing out. Well, we yep. had right? mostly European immigrants. So, yes, they're mostly white. <laughs> but who gets on a boat from China to come over here and build a railroad? I just think that's crazy. And before this started, Sean, my great-great-grandparents were on the Trail of Tears. They got forced out of Tennessee to go to Oklahoma. They got screwed out of the golden, the golden goose land to the desolate, godforsaken dirt hole. <laughs> and I love it. Back in 1830, when Andrew Jackson passed the Indian Removal Act, 
I just think this has been going on for a long time. I think right. people are fed up. And I think social media is a huge force because everyone was checking in, like check into Standing Rock. They're finding people. Right. And based on their social media. And so everyone was checking in. So it seemed like everyone in America was like, yeah. Screw these oil companies. Well, not everybody. Not yeah. everybody. And there's a lot of people who understand, you know, $55 million a year, local economy, jobs. You know, a lot of people are looking at a different picture. Like Sean said, you know, getting trucks off the road. A lot of people, I think, can look at it, look at it from a lot of different perspectives. And I want to do that. And I want to play a little bit of that game, The Other Side, by saying this one thing. And I know we saw a lot of security hired people shooting beanbags doing pretty bad stuff but i want to say this security folks are people too and they're working a job that they're paid to do and sadly because of the people writing their checks they're thrown into a bad situation i don't think any of them really want to be there how are they supposed to respond boss says get the job done get these people out of the way uh get these excavators moved in and people are people if you throw a group of people into conflict against another group of people Watch the violence break out. That's just what happens. Yeah. We shouldn't look at the people the people who are there standing on either side and say, those people are evil or those people are bad. There are bigger forces at play here. Um, and people are just trying to do their jobs. Yeah, but do you think that like when you when you don't really have any skin in the game, right? That you just you just kind of see them as not people because I feel like the Native Americans have skin in the game. They have they have their livelihood at stake here, and right. these these people, these rent a cops, their are just history like, and yeah. There's no skin in the game, so it's different. It's like it's easy to kind of treat someone poorly because it's like ah, I can go home after this. I don't have to deal with this. I don't have to sit with these people. I don't have yeah. to get to know any of these people. Is there any story, Sean, of like the security forces like siding with the natives at all, like giving up or quitting, or were there any like man, we converted some people over? So I got trapped in Bismarck for like three days. They shut the freeways down. And so there was a bunch of people from Standing Rock at the hotel and they kind of took over the bar area. And then there was like a bunch of people who like probably worked for right. in the oil industry that were trapped there and had had to get rooms there too. And so they were kind of in another section of the bar. And you could tell like if anyone was like crossing over, it was just like <laughs> you could just cut the tension with a freaking knife, you know? Wow. So I was just like sitting at the bar kind of watching all this happen and just being like, this is crazy. And then uh, one day I was like sitting in the hot tub just hanging out. I'm like walking back and there's a ton of people in the lobby just like chatting. Everyone's chatting. And I thought it was just like, you know, everyone's checking out or like a big group's like getting ready to leave. And then I go back to my room and, and kind of, you know, don't think about it. And then uh, I head back down and like, there was a, I guess there was a couple of videos that surfaced of this, but there was like these like three dudes in like ski masks that were like throwing oh, ice yeah. balls at people. I saw that. I actually saw that online. There was there was a couple of guys like harassing some people who were um, natives in the in the hotel. That was your hotel. Yeah, That's crazy because I saw it in like the overhang of the yeah. outside of the lobby. There was a car park there, and a guy was yep. being super intimidating and saying all these slurs. Yeah, and that was like, I was in the hot tub, I guess, wow. while all that was happening. And I just didn't even know. And then, like, you know, later that night, I find out, and now these videos are circulating, and I see see the, my car in the background <laughs> back there. And I'm like, holy shit, this is crazy. Like, I was just, I was literally just, like, up in my room watching Ellen or something while this is all going down. What would you what would you have done if you were out there and you saw these big guys in ski masks? 
yelling all this stuff and intimidating some people, what would you have done, do you think, in that moment? Man, I don't know. I think, like, a superhero in me wants to be like, man, I'd fucking stand up to that guy and, like... But he looked pretty big. <laughs> he looked pretty big on the video, too. I know, and I'm just... And then, like, the, like, realist in me is like, man, I'd probably be one of the dudes, like, sitting there trying to videotape it, like, seeing what's gonna happen, you know? <laughs> there seems to be a theme lately going on where people are kind of oppressing people that they don't know, strangers, like... Muslims are getting yelled at like, I voted for Trump. I've seen so many videos like that. Yeah. And it's like, great, great, dude. We're at Starbucks ordering. Yeah. It doesn't matter what your political <laughs> opinions are. Or like in the subway, just like, go back to your country. And it, it's like everyone right now is just yelling at random people. I, I, I've never seen anything like There's this a lot since of I've been alive. Yeah, racial division right now and tension. And this is, I think this Standing Rock thing is, is, is part of it's all connected it's all connected to all of that i think people are are finally going enough's enough you know you you saw it with black lives matter um you know yeah. with the police violence and i think i think the natives are also also saying enough's enough you know like you you can't just um again us over and uh and put our w- yeah. water supply at risk so what did obama pass he passed a uh, like a- yes, he passed a an order or you know, the Army Corps passed an order denying the, the company all their permitting for that section, basically saying, you need to find another way. Like, we're, we're not opposed to this, but just right. find a different direction. I think that everyone's saying as soon as Trump gets elected and is sworn in, he's just going to be like, ah, fuck it. Let's revert. Yeah, let's reverse this. Put, push that baby through and let's all make some money, you know? Trump will actually do that though. Like he does not want. I I just, I just don't think Matt, that he wants Matt, the Matt, backlash a, of that. A billionaire is in the poor man's pocket, dude. He wants to be billions of like a bunch of billionaires. Come on, Trump's going to do what Trump wants to do. That's what's going to happen. But if he can find a way to not receive incredible flack for it, like I I, I don't know. I kind of think his ego couldn't handle the backlash. Of what that would be. Do you think Trump will last more than a year or two in office at this point? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> no, dude. I don't think. I think people are just. I, that, I think the whole Trump thing's a, a whole different podcast. Yeah. But. Sure. I think Trump's fueled by stuff like this. He What he's going to do is he's going to come in and be like, oh, you're all fucking idiots. Like, it, this isn't as big of a deal as you think it is. Like, it's going to be great. Like, it's, you know, this is great. Like, we're going to make it great. It's going to be a great pipeline. <laughs> You're all going to make money from it. This is going to be fucking awesome. And, you know, and then everyone's, he's going to manipulate the situation into his favor. And then everyone will be like, well, fuck Trump. Like, this is crazy. But no one's going to, like, ever do anything. And it's just going to be like, okay, well, we 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 lost that one again, you know? Yeah. Meanwhile, three-eyed fish are swimming up the Missouri River right now. Yeah. I don't think oil creates a third eye. I don't know. It's just, it's just frustrating because I feel like at this point, lately I've been feeling like we are past the tipping point where corporations control everything. And it's literally like dive behind a, a hillside and claim what you can before the end is here. Because I honestly feel like it. every oh, time I no. turn around, it's like, I'm coming to your farm then, Nate. It's a very passive, pessimistic view. 
Well, it is <laughs> pessimistic, but it's hard not to when you when you follow the EPA is owned by the the same companies that are ruining the environment. It's so hard to have hope. Everything we need as humans to do well is just being attacked. And Here's taken. my thing: is like you're changing the oil in your car, right? You got that five get or you know the five quart thing at the end, and you're supposed to fill up your thing and take it to the auto zone and dump it in the big tank, right? And they take it and dispose of it the right way. Yeah, you're not going to take that five gallon thing and just be like, I don't want to go to fucking auto zone. Oh, I got I live next to a golf course. There's a there's a lake on the golf course. I'm just going to go dump this shit in there. Like, you're not going to do that. Like, no one in their right mind is going to do that. And every, and if, if you do, I feel like most of society is going to be like, what the fuck are you doing? You can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what they're, like, if this thing leaks or breaks, that's basically what they're saying is okay. You know? It's just like, oh, just fuck it. Let's just, you know, let's just dump this shit in this water and... Let's not worry about well, it. Well, I don't think I don't think the oil and gas companies want any spills. Number one, it's a loss of product, and number two, it's really bad for business. I I won't go as far as to say these people have bad intentions. I think their intention is to cr- create business and, and wealth. What they do with that is another thing. But I don't necessarily think that's bad. I don't think they go, oh yeah, we're just going to dump a bunch of oil in the water and who cares? I think they don't want that. There's no way they want a spill. It's just that there is a risk, um, 36 bills in 10 years, there is a risk to everyone's water source, and, and the tribe that's sitting there should have a say in the negotiations of what happens to their water source. Well, it's just that corporations aren't going to spend above and beyond the bare minimum, and when you spend the bare minimum, there's always problems. So are they going to spend you know, billions on titanium-plated pipes that will never run? No, they're going to put in the cheap stuff, or as cheap as possible, and I think the natives know that. Well, yeah, they're trying to turn a profit, yeah. And they, and they know that eventually this stuff's going to leak, eventually this stuff's going to break down, so I guess... I guess, Sean, you're saying that, okay, you can take your oil to AutoZone. Tomorrow, everyone listening to this podcast is going to ride their bike in 15-degree weather to work, right? <laughs> like, like, like individually, we can make choices, and that's what I do. I spend a lot of money on non-toxic crap because I don't want to support the big, bad, evil wolf that runs this country right <laughs> well here's the thing here's the thing that's one that that is one perspective to uh to and i think it's a valuable pr- perspective it is a protest vote with your dollar i think a lot of people vote with their dollars in, in, in protest and i think that's a valuable thing um i just read a headline the other day that uh, bill gates believes trump could channel jfk through innovation he said that and I was like, Bill Gates, all right, one of the wealthiest men in the world, a very, very good philanthropist, is giving like Sometimes. half of his wealth away, whatever, whatever. He said this about Trump. And I and and I saw this post on, you know, this news post, and everyone was like, Bill Gates has lost his mind. What a fool, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, no, he hasn't. You, Bill Gates is saying that it's so smart of him to to meet with Trump and say, you know what? You could be the JFK of innovative R&D in he's energy. He's just saying that because he hopes he gets assassinated. Well, That's no, really what, what he's what he's saying is <laughs> what he's saying is he's playing to Trump's ego and and his and his desire yeah, yeah, yeah. to have a legacy. He's saying be the legacy of the guy that put yeah. a man on the moon, but you could do it in energy. You could do it in clean renewable energy for the future. Trump has a desire to be liked. He has basically. a desire to be the guy that 
to be the guy that 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 is remembered throughout all history as the greatest president of all time. He's even said that. And so Bill Gates, a very smart billionaire, is trying to stoke that fire. He's not an idiot for trying to do that. I think he's quite reasonable for trying to go, okay, here's the train. Here's the Trump train. It's coming. Maybe we could just redirect it a little bit to something more positive for the earth. Maybe we can trick Michael yeah. Scott into being a great boss if we get Michael Scott to think about Michael Scott in a way that serves yeah. the office. Is exactly. That what you're saying? The in the way that serves the earth. And and obviously <laughs> Bill Gates is all about innovation and curing diseases and fighting against climate change. I mean, he's he's great at all that. So he's you, you use your potential enemies, you try to reach across and go, hey, could you agree with this one thing? Like you could and use their egos. You could be great. Yeah. You could be like JFK. I think it's brilliant. And I hope he that's does a, it. That's a great point, Matt. And I think you have to believe that. And a lot of people don't. I think the way he's picking his cabinet right now, it just goes up, oh, more big biz. More yeah. big biz. Yeah. That's I mean that's where it's leaning. You know, I was really excited when uh, Trump said he was gonna drain Florida, but I just don't see it happening. <laughs> drain the swamp. That was a joke. Yeah, you find Bigfoot down there, and then we really have a podcast episode. (laughs) (laughs) When they are home, when they are home, when they are, when they are Do you believe that everyone's an environmentalist when the shit gets dropped on their property? <laughs> oh, exactly. They call that they call that NIMBY, not in my backyard. Yeah, it's like it's like an HOA thing when you move into like a nice neighborhood and then some dude moves in and is like, "I'm going to take a dump on my driveway every day." <laughs> yeah. And I, <laughs> not in my I backyard. Think that's part of what's going on, but I think it's obviously a bigger deal, right. you know, and it's something that applies to everybody cuz this could be a huge widespread thing i mean if enough oil gets in the missouri river that baby flows right into the mississippi river all like which is the watershed for all of middle america and you have more at stake than just drinking right water. and we've like, seen aside from human consumption right you have you know agriculture uh wildlife livestock yeah. and wildlife yeah everything man like this just to me it just common sense sounds like a bad idea flint michigan yeah. still doesn't have clean water still so exactly, uh, we we understand that clean water is one of the top three essentials to to health and happiness, and that should be a basic human <laughs> and right. And the top essential to life. It sh- it's a basic human right. Should be a basic human right for all Americans and everybody living here. At least I would say the entire world, but at least us. And to put that at risk, uh, especially in 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 this way, seems a little bit. Um, aggressive against our basic human rights. And I, I can understand why people would protest that. Yeah, when I was a kid, Woodsy the Owl, remember him? Give a hoot, don't pollute. <laughs> oh, I remember Woodsy. There's somebody listening to this podcast that goes, gosh, 
These guys are like anti-business. They're so liberal. They're 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 totally not where I'm at. I'm saying any take any conservative redneck anti-government dude who owns 50 <laughs> acres, and if you take nuclear waste and start pouring it on his property, he's going to become the most liberal dude you've ever seen instantly, <laughs> right? And that's well, how I feel. Well, I feel that those, way. It's like some of those dudes are protesting the wind turbines too, uh, farmers and the like. So. I mean, no yeah, but if you tell them they get free energy, their, yeah. if you tell them, hey, this is free energy for you, but if you let this in your backyard, be like, oh, hell yeah, put that in my backyard, <laughs> I get free energy. It's like, as soon as it affects that that guy, that person, they change their opinions. All of us do. I hate when people think that if you are an environmentalist or if you care about the environment to a crazy degree to where it, when it affects you, then you're somehow this wacky bonkers out of the box person. And I just, I don't know. I guess that's just where it's hard for me to... To progress in our technology towards something more renewable is the only way that we have a future on this earth. It really is because the oil will, will go away. It's not a renewable resource. And I know there's still a lot of it in the ground, but when you pump that stuff up, it does things to the environment. It just does. And our environment can't handle it. I read an article the other day that said the average woman now has 2000 toxic chemicals in her system when she gives birth today. These corporations are polluting our bodies, even if we don't see it. And if you have a child with special needs or some sort of problem, that hits home for you because then your life is so difficult. Right. I can't even imagine. Raising a child, a baby on its own that's totally healthy and totally functional is hard enough. Vanderbilt right. Hospital has a waiting list yeah. of two and a half years if you have an autistic child now. There's so many kids with problems being born with mental health issues. They don't even know what to do about it. And I think... Personally, it's all related to the toxic overload in people. It's because these corporations can do whatever the hell they want. And thank God for these Indians standing out there in the freezing rain saying, enough is enough. At some point, corporations have to think of their own kids, their own family that they're polluting and poisoning. And so I I think it's time for people to – we need to stand up. We need to say enough is enough. So I'm all for the people at Standing Rock because they – are putting their life on the line to say no. And we should all rally behind that because at some point, some pipeline is going to come in your and I's backyard and we're yeah. going to hope, we're going to hope that the world stands with us, right? We're going to yep. hope that there's precedent, yes, to, to fight it. If, it. if it is affecting or potentially putting at risk our water sources, our, you know, sacred burial grounds, whatever those might be, you know, our backyards. Our health, for sure. Yeah, our health. Well, that's, Nate, by the way, Nate, great rant. I loved it. Uh, so Big Daddy, for those of you that don't know, owns uh, a hot dog bistro in Empire. a in a cart. <laughs> Empire. It's called Daddy. Don't own a hot dog Empire. It's called Daddy's Dogs. So if if you live in Nashville and you want a tasty dog, go check out Daddy's Dogs Nash dot com. Um, where else can people find you? Yeah, on the streets, baby. On the streets, slanging those tasty dogs. Yeah, and on the on the web at at Daddy's Dogs Nash. For all the good stuff, right. Instagram, Twitter, Face Bizzle, all that. So stuff. people, uh, people don't might not know this, but here in Seattle, we're known for our like late late night street meat, uh, is what they call it. So there's a lot of different hot dog carts, and the Seattle dog, um, don't knock it till you try it, is a hot dog. I think it's usually like a Polish with uh, with cream cheese on the bun. And people are like, cream cheese, grilled onions. That's the Seattle dog, and and someone started doing it in like the '80s or whatever. You wake up in the morning with it all over your, the front of your shirt, but you're thankful. Yeah. You're always thankful you got it because it's delicious. And so, Daddy moved to to Nashville and was like, they don't got no dogs here. 
And you saw a, uh, we could probably get you on and talk about, um, you know, starting that business and what that, what that looked like for you and, uh, and where you are now. How many, you have one cart, right? Uh, no, we have three carts. You have three carts now. Three carts. And yep. We'll, if everything goes to plan, we will have four by June of next year. And where do you set them up? Do you move them around a lot? No, you know, we're mostly in the same spots and we do a lot of events and a lot of like, you know, we'll do like a lunch, catered lunch for a, a you know, office or, you know, right. corporate event or something like that. Um, but no, we're downtown close to Broadway on the weekends, right behind Honky Tonk Central on Fridays and Saturdays. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, where we're on Demumbrian. And then every night of the week, except Sunday, we're in Midtown across the street from Winners and Losers. So Go pick yourself up a daddy's dog. Yeah. Come get a dog. Go- can get you a describe? Can dog. you describe your favorite uh, your favorite hot dog right now from Daddy's Dogs? Who I mean, they're all good. Uh, our signature is probably the Big Daddy, and it's got that cream cheese, some bacon, a pickle, uh, grilled onions, some jalapenos, and a little secret sauce that we use. It's kind of like a garlic chipotle only. So. Ooh, I'm getting hungry. Secret get- sauce from Big Daddy will get you in trouble. How many so- toxins for Nate are in those hot dogs? Oh, man, so many toxins. <laughs> <laughs> no, baby, they're all beef. Maybe. Toxic maybe. beef, maybe, but I mean. Toxic beef. <laughs> Big Daddy serving 2018 is going to go all grass-fed, 100% pasture-raised, all beef hot dogs. You're going to have yeah. to charge yeah. two bucks more a piece, but I think Nashville's ready. Nashville's ready. Nashville will pay a premium price. That'll be your new menu item, the organic daddy. Yeah. The grass daddy. Organa daddy. The grass grass daddy. daddy. I do have I do have to tell <laughs> tell one story about Sean Porter. Uh, Sean Porter, this is my favorite story. Um, he's 18 years old. He's tour managing Sherwood on our first headlining tour. I'm driving down the Vegas Strip at like 2:30 in the morning. I'm the only one sober. I'm trying to find our whole our whole <laughs> band. They're all at different casinos all along the strip. And I'm driving down the strip as people are running out of casinos and diving into the RV. <laughs> And at the very end of the strip, Sean Porter, our tour manager, supposed to be running the show, comes running out with his hands flailing back and forth on left and right, going, Been gambling for four hours. I'm 18 years old, baby. <laughs> and d- dives into the RV, and off we go to the next show. No one ever carded uh, Sean. He was no. always like 18, 19, 20 when he was TMing us. 18 and years old, gambling in Vegas. Never got carded. No, man. Always a giant beard. It's the beard, baby. A boomy, a boomy voice. A boisterous uh, personality. No one thought you were underage. Everyone's like, oh, this guy's like 42. Now I get, like, bummed out when I have to tell people how old I am. Yeah, but, you know, it's, a, it's like a fine wine, Sean. You're just getting better. And Sean's a good guy. I've seen you stand out on street corners in the middle of the UK hustling Sherwood CDs to make us a few extra bucks to get to the next town. Oh, man, you were the number one hustler. You'd always get us into the movie theaters for free. We'd eat at the Cracker Barrel, Cracker Barrel for free. Baby. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> the best yeah. tour manager ever, for sure. Sean, is very. you're a very selfless person. You're always looking out for other people and helping other people, and I've noticed you were young, much younger than me, but... Wise beyond your years, my friend. Oh, in a lot of ways, you had a lot of. I appreciate. You had that, a lot man. of maturity in in and, and and a lot of growing up to do. We'll say that. <laughs> yeah, but in, in different ways. In different ways. Don't don't we all? <laughs> Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for uh, 
uh, informing us. And thanks for going all the way to Standing Rock. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love me. that impromptu conviction and that you followed through and you did it on your own. Uh, I think everybody can be inspired by that. If you feel like you need to do something, be like Big Daddy and just do it. That, that's the way yeah. to live, man. Drive to Standing Rock. The way to live. Way to live. Well, that about wraps it up. You can email us at don't email the trolls at gmail.com or through our contact form at trollspodcast.com. Check out Big Daddy. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, at Big Daddy Says. At Big Daddy Says. And uh, you can also check us out on Twitter at TrollsPod, Instagram at Trolls Podcast. Thanks, Sean. We really appreciate it, man. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, Love thanks, you guys. Daddy. All right. Take care, man. I've been standing on the rock Waiting for my seeds to grow I've been standing on the rock Waiting for my seeds to grow